This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 24. I'm here to serve students, and in order to serve students, I have to serve the people that are presenting that curriculum and material to them. And so with that in mind, I have to do everything within my power on a daily basis to give them the tools and opportunities they need to best meet the needs of students. Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Ken Herman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Matt, the Prince of Purpose Rogers. Matt, it's the end of the year. You are counting down the days till uh, you break for summer, uh, those special few, few days you have left with students. So the question I want to throw your way is, what is something that you did this year specifically or something that's happened a couple times or a distinct memory that you have where you genuinely were just having a lot of fun with your class everybody was belly laughing some moment like that that really sticks out to you where it was just in a, a really happy moment with your students well i can give you a a big celebration i think one of the things about this past year that has been honestly delightful is the pressure seems to be off. The pressure from beginning to the end of the year was all about caring for kids and trying to make this school year as almost salvaged is probably not the best way to put it, but as normal or as special in a positive way, because we had plenty of reasons why it could be negative. And we dealt with, uh, minimal notice of kids staying at home and being virtual. But I, uh, I upped the ante in my uh, confidence uh, of different activities and did a lot of competition this year, friendly competition where it was more so students versus myself. And I will tell you, shamefully, I played a game of basketball. Now, mind you, my kids are nine years old. They're like four foot three. Um, and I could usually crush them in basketball, absolutely destroy them. Kind of like me playing versus Shaq, like get that stuff out of here. And so I made a deal. We were packing up, getting ready to go. And, um, I made a deal that if one kid in the grade level hit a half court shot that we would cancel recess for the end of the year. Um, now, mind you, this was PSSA's end of April, um, and the one kid I picked out hadn't made a shot all day long <laughs> and swished it right down into the hoop. 
um, with just the most elation I've ever seen from kids. Um, so it, it was one of those things that like, if we didn't have homework anymore, we didn't have homework. And, and so my mentality ended up having to be, what are activities that I could get my kids doing that they would want to be working outside of school instead of requiring it. So that is, uh, that's, was a really fun, memorable experience. And just looking at my kids' faces and just something that honestly doesn't matter too much to me, homework or, or repetitions helpful but in april um, it made a world of a difference in their lives that's awesome and very believable because you were not the one that made the half court shot yeah i'm not a very good i I don't know that i would have believed the story Uh, (laughs) so our conversation kind of circled around this um our, our guest tonight nick snyder who's a former teacher of the year in south carolina and now an assistant principal Talks a lot about relationships, and frankly, it's a theme that's that's circled every every guest that we've had. But actually, what kind of prompted me to to put that question out there to you and, and write the quote behind me that I have have on my screen, um, which is really just talking about like it, having a fun classroom, having a classroom where kids feel happy will motivate learning, but it 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 doesn't it's not successful unless there's strong structures and strong classroom routines. But everything that stemmed this was I had a memory pop up on my Facebook today, and it was from career day four years ago. We had a uh, police officer, father in the school who brought in his canine dog. And so to, to date this previously, two years prior to that, the, in the career day, he brought the dog in and he, you know, said about like how he has training exercises where the dog will bite, you know, somebody's arm, things like that. And I was like, I want to do that. And he's like, are you serious? I said, yeah, I absolutely want to do that. So he only let me put on the arm guard and the dog just ran up and, and bit me. And so the kids loved it. They thought it was cool. And I told him, I said, Hey, in two years, when we do career day again, I want the full experience. I want you to, I want to run. I want to be chased down and I want that dog to tackle me. And a year and a half after that, I emailed him and said, Hey, career days in six months. Don't forget. I want to do this. So we set it up and I did it for my homeroom. The kids loved it. The other fifth grade classes caught wind of it and we filmed it, but they did not accept that they wanted more. So we brought all the fifth graders and we brought all the fourth graders down for this because in theory, fourth graders wouldn't have me for career day because we did every other year. So this video pops up. I run, I'm running across the front yard of our school. This German shepherd is hunting me down the first attack. I don't go down. I, I win the battle. So, and the kid, there's like not much excitement in the crowd. The second one, he lays me out and the kids go wild which is just hilarious because they did not care that I survived. They thought it was the best when the dog just totally wiped me out. But, you know, that was like a half hour experience that took away from something that we were supposed to be doing instructionally. But that is a memory that I I have, and I know that the students have. And I think it's so valuable to have those experiences with kids. You can build those special moments like like you just talked about or, or, or my story, but also like you can create those moments in the classroom, but I truly believe that those moments exist best in a classroom that is well-prepared, has strong routines and has strong instructional practice because you as the teacher know that you can go to those moments and then kind of come back. I was just talking with a high school teacher 
and you know he was we were just on the topic of like how we like our job and that kind of stuff and and he's like he said i laugh every class every day every class and he said i don't know of a career that i could have where i could genuinely laugh every day and again his classroom is really strong and so you know our, our guest tonight nick really dives into this i think he offers great insight into this idea of relationships managing procedures preparing for for your class all, all of those pieces um he, he really puts together in a in a nice manner matt do you want to add anything before we we bring nick onto the podcast yeah no i think kind of echoing echoing what you um said I, I i think what you'll hear from nick is just the idea of um being genuinely uh, interested in others. Uh, you'll hear at the end of the podcast that he ends up becoming this year the uh, temperature checker. And I think, honestly, I reflect and I, I could understand that being a challenging, um, almost, uh, dare say, beneath his responsibility um, in a school day. But as he kind of alluded to, it's an opportunity to have conversations and touch base with a number of students that can be a positive first experience into the school day. And to have someone like your assistant principal be a comfortable figure as a teacher or a student, that's an incredible uh kind of bridge between what normally would be, hey, we wanna kind of oil and water stay away from that environment. Um, so I, I think it's just interesting how he kind of talks about relationships in the classroom, bringing a lot of those same attributes to um, the administrative side of things. And it's also nice to hear that administrators are on our side. And, and I mean our side as the kid's side and the teacher side and the parent side, Whatever side, they're on our side because it's just for the benefit of kids. That is just very evident in this episode. Yeah, I 100% agree. And um, I'm, I want to say I'm going to throw something up on the forums and, and you can jump in on it. And I want our guests to do as well. I'm going to figure out how to get those videos off of Facebook. I don't, I don't really know how to do that, but I'll figure out a way to download those videos. And I'm going to start a, a thread on the forums of just like sharing fun moments in your classroom, just to, to share some stories amongst colleagues up on the Powered Up Forum. So if you haven't already, make sure you you join as a free member at powereduup.com to uh, join in that conversation. So uh, without any further delay, let's bring Nick Snyder into the podcast. Hey, Nick, welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So to dig in here, let's just... Um, have you officially introduced yourself and what your education journey has looked like so far? Yeah, no, no problem. So um, I have I've been in education for a total of 14 years now. Um, big, big adv advocate for public education. Uh, I started off my my journey um, traveling to the Charleston, South Carolina area where I uh, started teaching English uh, and in eighth grade. Uh, for eight years at a middle school in Charleston County, South Carolina, and then I transitioned to uh, a neighboring district where I taught English at the high school level for four years, and um, and then I've switched the last two years to uh, an administrative role 
my my transition really has had a lot to do with you know I I did not I never once set out to be an administrator. Um, my my passion was the classroom. That's great, and I I really want to dig into that transition you made into administration, um, just to see what that experience was like for you and. and to, to help our, our listeners just learn a little bit more about, you know, what's the other side of the coin like. Uh, but before that, I want to kind of learn more about Mr. Snyder, the teacher. And so when you transition to from middle school to high school, uh, I, this is a, a question I've asked the last couple times about teachers who've had varying experiences. What uh, strengths do you think you had that were assets as a middle school teacher that gave you an advantage as a high school teacher that maybe others who haven't been in middle school didn't have. And also on the flip side of that, what were some of the most challenging things for you to really get acclimated with that was different in high school as compared to middle school? All right. So I think um, some of the strengths that, that I had in my time in middle school that I really had developed, uh, one of those was really seeing just uh, an understanding of where students were coming from in terms of their their background but you know when I switched to to high school uh, a lot of the teachers I worked with had only ever worked at the high school level so there wasn't a full understanding about sort of that development process and so being in middle school allowed me to kind of see that development process not only in their academics but also in their um, social development and things like that and their their maturity levels and so you know by the uh, that that really gave me a, a heads I guess um, not a heads up but a, a step up in the in reaching the students once I switched to the high school level um, I also think that it, it just helped me starting my career in middle school and working there for several years I think that really helped me be able to um, strengthen some of those foundational instructional pieces with my subject matter and, and writing and reading. Um, you know, I think I did have some challenges switching to the high school level. In, in our area here, we, you know, I switched. One of the biggest challenges was switching from 55-minute um, class periods to 90-minute block schedules. So, um, you know, that was a challenge at first to figure out how to manage my time and develop content but once I once I got used to it I really loved having that amount of time for my subject matter because I had so much opportunity to to do uh, reading and writing vocabulary research all mixed into one class period I think another another challenge was probably just you know switching from the middle school to high school level uh, another one would be that I was not as used to the um, kind of the individual aspect of, you know, the middle school I'd worked on a team and it was very team oriented. We had these nice, neat uh, grade level teams and everything was beautifully set apart like that. But when I moved to the high school level, it was more departmental based and uh, professional learning communities. We call those PLCs. And so we had those as a part of our, those were our teams. We, we didn't do a lot of inner uh, cross-curricular activities at the high school level and I, I did feel at first like I was uh, out on an island a little bit but you know I had a good group of teachers that that helped me transition in that process so 
So I, I know from, obviously I'm an elementary perspective, and I think the idea of changing classes is both helpful, but also terrifying. Um, I know from my end of things, if I change one grade level, that means I change one grade level with every single subject that I teach. So every single component of what I'm doing, whereas maybe at that high school level, A, the semesters you're planning for a significantly less amount of time at a very high level, but even if you were to move within departments, you're still teaching a passion of yours. A science teacher is still teaching in the field of science. They may have to adjust to what they're teaching. Um, but I think one of the, the questions that I have for you is, Making that adjustment, like I, I went from special ed to regular ed, and I felt like it gave me a huge perspective of realistically not the priority of my classroom. Like I can't actually go out and say that, but the the most uh, necessary items that I had to kind of accomplish were always associated with that realm of special ed. I guess my my questioning is. Do you feel curriculum-wise when you make that adjustment? Obviously, you're dealing with more difficult content, but I know, like, I think about, oh, I could, I could never teach sixth grade because in my brain, I've, I've set it to a fourth grade brain of, like, that's what I have to be really good at, that the idea of going from exposing kids to literature and having a love for reading and language arts to really being an expert in the field so specified that every moment has to really drive kids and, and potentially have that responsibility to give them career paths. If they fall in love in your class, they could go in and two, three, four years later be studying that in college. What was that transition like responsibility-wise or preparation with curriculum um, going from that middle school to that high school level? Uh, you know, I, I didn't really feel a, that great of a, uh, a burden with that. In the, in the particular subject that I taught English, I've always considered it, and it's always been explained to me as a spiraling staircase. And so it wasn't so much about new content as it was the depth of content um, and, the, and the level of content. So... Uh, you know, a lot of the terminology that we use from middle school English to high school English, a lot of that remains the same. Uh, we, we were talking about themes. We were talking about symbolism. We were talking about figurative language. We were talking about uh, thesis statements and all these types of things. But the text that we chose to interact with at, uh, changed levels. And for me, I found that to be refreshing. Um, I went from the middle school level dealing with, um, you know, some, some informational text and, and some uh, uh, text that, actually, you know, were, were of the fictional realm. And then I switched up to, to high school, but uh, a lot of the questioning and things were still based on the same root foundation of, of topics. So it didn't really matter if I was dealing with uh, an informational text about a, a, a letter to a, a principal in middle school about changing a policy or dealing with Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail. Um, we, were, we were analyzing the text and we were looking for a lot of that same 
those same basics. So, you know, so I think it's a little different uh, personally from something like, like the math field where it's, it's algebra over here and geometry over here, two very different worlds. Um, I felt like I was right in my wheelhouse of, of um, content. I just had to figure out how to take it to that next level and to that deeper level. How am I gonna take it from where I was at with the middle school students? How am I gonna take it now to a deeper level and allow students to be more independent uh, with that, that context and with those assignments and with those readings and up the, the Lexile levels with those opportunities for readings. So Nick, with that, um, you're starting to kind of paint the picture of, of what your classroom looked like, tapping into those skills that you were teaching and the resources that you were using with your students. To be honored as a, a teacher of the year, you obviously need to have a high level of respect from your administrators, from your colleagues, from students, from parents. So what do you think was we'll say the it factor of Mr. Snyder. What was it about that you think, you know, let's start with, let's start with students. What, if, if you talk to some of your former students, whether it was middle school, high school, or both, what do you think would be some of the things that they said that, you know, Mr. Snyder's class was great because of blank. And I'm going to take a wild guess that relationships was a huge part of that. And if it was, please, please dive into that. But also instructionally, what do you think you did that, that allowed the students to enjoy your class as well. Yeah, well, spot on with the relationship part. Um, I, I am guessing you took a wild guess because you understood that that is the foundation of a, a strong teacher. Um, you cannot consider students anything uh, in terms of just bodies at the desk or you know uh, a random assortment of minds. Um, they are individuals, each with their own background and upbringing, and um, and so you know I, I felt like uh, initially I specialize in the ability to um, connect with kids and and just um, like many teachers across America, you know I I uh, I went to their events. I ask them questions about their their lives. When when I ask questions about their lives, I stopped and I listened for answers about their lives. Um, and so, all of that, uh, and and this is this is nothing um, mind blowing here. All of that paves the way for opportunity for academics. And so, definitely, I think my my it factor with students was just a relationship. You know, a lot of teachers have a different perspective when it involves allowing students into their personal lives. Um, I, I started day one with a presentation about myself and it had nothing to do with me um, as, a, as a boasting measure or anything like that. But I, I showed a, a presentation to my students about who I was, how I hated reading until I was age 16, um, how uh, about my family, about my musical interests, about why I thought English, uh, reading, writing, vocabulary were important. I opened myself up to the students. 
and immediately built an atmosphere of of trust in that classroom day one and so from that point forward uh, I think once that was established then I was able to go for the the academic piece and with the academic piece um, you know I've I've read a lot and, and studied a lot talked to a lot of successful educators but for me it was about making my classroom um, a place where students could uh, collaborate and and communicate and be creative and critically think and where they knew they it was a safe environment for them to do so and and so every day coming in whether we were dealing with argumentative writing or whether we were dealing with the analysis of a piece of literature um, they knew that they were going to get an opportunity to be involved with other students where I was more of a, a, a facilitator at times I gave some instruction but I really guided the process and allowed them to come to a lot of the conclusions and opportunities and you know I, I think that teenagers in general don't feel a great sense of power a lot of times and so when you give them that opportunity um, that can do wonders for their academic achievement can i just chime in there's there's something that ken has said in previous episodes but we're hearing a constant theme so the relationships and the idea of really not standing in the way of kids but with them that like guide on the side we've heard in many different academic ways. But I think one thing, uh, Nick, and you can speak to this, is the preparation that goes in beforehand. I think if you listen to, Nick, what you said, or Ken, what you said in the past, and you think about, oh, the kids are doing all this work on their own, that seems like it's easy, or uh, God forbid I'd say lazy, the fact that we just showed up and they just automatically did. That never is the case. There is, it's the choice to do a tremendous amount of work beforehand. And maybe that's on your own time with your own interest, choosing what literature you're going to go into. But that is where really good teachers are prepared for really good classrooms. Can you kind of speak to your preparation? Yeah, I think the the off the uh, off season preparation for an educator is, I mean, in a lot of ways, it makes or break makes or breaks your success during the school year. The level of success you have, uh, starting with with the summers from the very first year that I taught, um, I had a summer routine where I would I always took a few weeks off for myself just to kind of um, mentally refresh and physically refresh, but but I also started over the summertime to review material from the from the previous year and and read new material as an English teacher I was looking at new stories new literature new writing opportunities and so I wanted when, when that first day of school came around in August I wanted to have a strong game plan already put together of where I was going where I wanted to take the students and how I was going to get there and you know even even though I knew those plans were probably going to be uh, destroyed within the first few weeks just by various factors I wanted to have that plan 
And, and so that was an important part of preparation. But then the other part of preparation is just that day to day. And so, um, you know, that to me, that was a lot of looking. It was very, for most teachers, it's very challenging in the first few years looking at exactly how to tweak those lessons. And, and I got stronger at that over, over the years for sure. Uh, but I think that one of the things was just a lot of times looking back and, and kind of reflecting. My first eight years, I had a, a commute of about 40 minutes to my school, and that just provided me a lot of reflection time and just thinking about the events of the day and the lessons that I had presented and what had been successful and what hadn't been. So there was a lot of reflecting, and I think with reflection comes thinking about, well, where can I improve? How can I grow? And I also struggled early on as a, as a uh, teacher just with grading, trying to balance my grading. I remember my first couple years taking home 100 notebooks on the weekends to look and grade through journals. And then I just had to get more uh, strategic and efficient with how I looked at that and graded. And, and so I think planning day to day also is important. For me, it specifically looked like planning by a unit and kind of using like a backwards design approach and then uh, planning my weeks out to prepare for that. And then I could take that and trim it down to the exact day that I wanted. But, but I think all of that is necessary in order for a, an effective teacher and, and somebody who's going to reach students um, at the level that they need to be reached. So I want to, I want to take this as an opportunity to transition into some of the topics about you now being an administrator. So I 100% agree with, with Matt, your great question, and, and Nick, what you're saying about it being necessary to be a great teacher that, that off-season, whether it's in the summer or it's a weeknight or a weekend, that, that preparation is so important to create the best learning experiences for students. So, you know, obviously part of your job is to connect with the teachers in your building, to observe them teach, to, uh, you know, just be very visible as, as much as you can in their classrooms. But the reality is, is you're in there such a small, small percentage of the time that they're actually teaching, and you're really never there when they're preparing. So what does it look like when you walk into a classroom that is clearly very well prepared? Like what are those, whether it's just those, those visual cues, those audio cues, or, or what's that vibe that you can just walk in and say, you know, wow, this teacher is dedicated. They are preparing everything so that they're providing their students with the best learning opportunities possible. So within the first probably 30 seconds, uh, there, there are a few things that I can, I can look at right away. Number one is, is student engagement. What are the students participating in? What is, what is taking place? And to me, that doesn't necessarily mean seated at their desks in a row, all looking up at the sage on the stage. It means what is, what is happening in that room? Um, you know, when it, it's kind of uh, comical to me in a way, but when I was surprised with the... Um, teacher top five teacher of the year recognition for South Carolina when they came into my room I had no idea and every student in my classroom was standing 
in groups around the room because we were taking place, we were taking part in a uh, debate and students were grouped by their initial thoughts about the topic on the debate. So um, I'm, I, I'm not coming into that room looking at um, uh, robotic fixtures that are, are, are all looking up towards the front of the classroom. I want to see what the level of student engagement is. Another thing that I want to see is what what in that room specifically, uh, you know, in our district and, and many, um, many districts across the, the United States, um, what um, framework is there for what's taking place in class that day? So, you know, yes, I, I like to see standards posted or, you know, what's being addressed, but I really like to see an agenda where what do the students actually know what i mean the number one question i got from students as they came into classes each day what are we doing today and so you know i like to see a, a posting of here is is what we are going to take part in today and and this is the the goal for the outcome so i may not necessarily be there for the beginning of that but I should be able to come into a classroom and see a an organized um, structure that allows for everybody in the room, no matter what time they came in the room, to know what's going to be taking place. And 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 that may get modified. You know, nobody's going to follow that exactly to the t, to the second, to the minute. Um, but you have to have some structure. One of the greatest things I learned from my first year to the rest of my years of, of teaching was the importance of planning and structure. Um, I always believe in being overplanned versus underplanned. And so when I go into that room, I want to see student engagement and I want to see um, the, the structure and organization that's going to allow for learning to take place in, in that classroom. And I can, I feel like even though I can't totally judge a lesson, I can get a pretty good sense of that within a, a first 30 seconds to a minute of being in there. So I don't want to make this sound like I am uh, being disrespectful at all, <laughs> but you'll see where I'm going with this question. You're talking about being able to walk in and, and see that right away. And I completely agree. I I saw that when I was subbing, but when I first got into education, I felt like I could learn a lot pretty quickly and definitely by the end of the day, just about how the classroom was run, the types of activities, the way the students were engaged and, and how well they were behaved. And now as an instructional coach, you know, I'm walking into a lot of classrooms and just you get those vibes when you walk in. Do you think it has anything to do with your pursuit of your administrative certificate and your experience as an administrator? Or do you think it is purely because you get to walk in and take it all in? You know, I, I've worked with teachers who are working on a specific instructional goal. And I'll mention one thing and they'll say, and, and they'll say, wow, I never thought about that. And they're like, I can't believe I missed that. And I said, well, it's because you're in the trenches and you're so focused on every student, what your objectives are, where you want to go with, you're so focused on so many things, you can't step back and see the big picture. And so I guess what I'm asking is, do you think it's just that time 
to just step back and observe it all? And if so, how can we get more teachers the opportunity to do that and to see value in just watching others teach? Uh, I mean, there there is no doubt in my mind that the the uh, opportunity to observe and and the perspective changes um, changes that aspect. You know, I use a lot of terminology with my teachers in terms of like uh, of your four walls. You know, this is when, when I was when I was teaching. My world was my my four walls. I mean. At the middle school level, yes, we did uh, we did plan and teach across um, a lot of uh, curriculum and a lot of subject areas. Not as much at the at the high school level, but um, I definitely think that that when I switched into high school, I got stuck in that idea of of my four walls a little bit, and so. Switching to administration has definitely um, challenged my uh, my view of of teachers, students, the school as as a whole. Um, but you know, I think that it's a big. I find it to be very challenging at high school level to get teachers to want to branch out of their classrooms, and so. You know, a lot of people are very, uh, a lot of people are very set in their curriculum and their teaching methods. And so how do we have, how do I have as an administrator, how do I have conversations with them about um, a, a viewing uh, another teacher's classroom, about considering additional ideas? And, and those aren't easy conversations. Um, I, I came from a luxury of having worked at my school as a teacher for four years prior to becoming an administrator. It was a it was a concept that terrified me when I first became an administrator because I thought, you know, um, will these will these colleagues of mine see a transition into that? But thankfully for me, I had relationships with these teachers and rapport with these teachers to the point that they respected me as a teacher. So when I make, uh, when I make recommendations or when I give ideas about observing classrooms and talking to other teachers and sharing ideas, uh, we, we have in our district, we have something called PLCs, professional learning communities. And so when I challenge them to bring ideas to their professional learning communities about new things that they are using or that they've experimented with, they know that it comes from a place not of of dictatorship, but of a place of trying to improve uh, all all of their crafts and opportunities for students. And that's the delicate balance. You were a classroom teacher who had to deal with the ebbs and flows of and even the emotions of kids, what they're dealing with, all of the different aspects of are they interested in what you're reading or not and then when you transition to an administrator you have the responsibility of discipline and also school culture but honestly you end up shifting to that same type role but of a group of adults that have adult responsibilities in addition to teaching and pulling out their very best every single day 
and, and setting purpose and making sure that they feel like you said you're you're providing guidance but you're also um not requiring it um is a, a delicate balance uh, I, I just have to imagine that there's benefits again from being in the teacher role and doing that well with kids but can you kind of speak to even the pulse of your staff and and what your responsibility is there because i think you could easily get caught up in all the challenges of your job but you have a lot less challenges it's kind of like when you have a well planned out lesson you can be more attentive to the behaviors and also the the kids um just enjoyment of the lesson or engagement is so much higher so your behaviors are less in the same sense if this if teachers show up to your building every day loving being there then they're naturally going to work even harder which means that the kids are going to love their experience and in theory make your job even easier well you know this is my my second year as an administrator so i'm far from i'm far from uh perfection of that that balance um I think that everyone in my building knows that my philosophy as an administrator is the same as it was as a teacher. Um, I have not arrived at the pinnacle. Um, I am constantly striving to um, perfect my craft. And, and so, yes, my, my craft looks a little bit differently now. But it still, surprisingly, still boils down to relationships. Um, I, I, I would like to say I believe that there's not a teacher. In my school, I oversee three departments. I oversee English, uh, world languages, and fine arts. And so, you know, I would like to say that there's, there is not a teacher that... Uh, doesn't have a mindset that they can interact with me and discuss with me at any point and any time about anything, um, whether it be students, parents, um, and, and a lot of those, a lot of those relationships, um, they just have to build over time. Um, you know, I've had I've had opportunities. I've had a few parents this year that have challenged my teachers about texts that they've chosen to read. And so I get brought into the process. And so and my, my job, I feel like, uh, um, is to uh, protect my teachers and, and why they've chosen what they have. Um, it's not that they are above uh, making mistakes, but I, I'm going to go to bat for them. And they know that. And so, to me, once you are, are in the trenches with them, not every day in the classroom, but you're helping them fight their fights and their problems. Uh, to me, administration, I inherit everyone's problems on a daily basis. And so, you know, I take those problems and, and I try to help them work through that to the most, um, most positive forward thinking outcome. And and when we do that, you start to gen, you start to then then build this trust, and over time that trust, um, much like it did as a teacher in the classroom, that trust starts to spill over into other areas, decision making, um, class so course selections, you know, 
all, all these aspects of things. And, and I've seen that start to take place really this year. I feel like in my second year, I've seen that take place uh, the most. Um, yeah, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I feel like the balance of, of those two worlds is that um, if you come in with a, a guns a blazing mentality of just changing and directing, um, you're going to strike out pretty fast. And so establishing the relationships, the trust with the teachers then allows you to have uh, conversations with them about curriculum and about classroom management and about uh, motivation and morale. And, and those things, uh, you can't speak into someone's life, in my mind, unless you have some type of relationship with them. I think one of the things, and then Ken, I'll let you ask a question, but one of the things I learned early on was as a teacher, going to an administrator, remembering that administrator was a teacher before. They, they have a kind of experience in the classroom. They did and experienced many of the things that you dealt with. Um, on the administrator side of things, you guys take the brunt of the hardest parts of my my classroom experience. I get to hand them off to you um, when it got out of my realm of what I need to deal with. And I appreciate um, administrators that, that kind of welcome that and take that on. I know, and you can also, Nick, add kind of suggestions. As a, a new teacher, something I learned was my administrators loved when I would present problems to them but also provide some thoughts of solutions along with it. We obviously know context of what's going on in the classroom, but it comes off so much differently as it's kind of like a, the, the team mentality of like, it's not your kid, it's, it's all of our kids. In this case, it's not your problem, it's all of our problem. And I feel like that's something that early on I learned is, hey, I may not know the whole picture. My, my administrator has a great picture of the family dynamic, how many discipline referrals, how they got to school, all of the different conditional formats that lead into maybe the behavior that I'm seeing or the academic difficulty that's occurring. Um, but just that concept of, hey, this is what I noticed. They were having trouble with this aspect. These are either two things I tried or things that I would consider doing. Is that helpful? Would you um, make other suggestions of how to interact? Because it is your boss. And so at the end of the day, you're, you're participating in my evaluation too, that it's helpful to get that relationship to be as beneficial and, and um, comfortable as possible while being professional. Yeah, you know, I, I have a service mentality. Um, I'm here to serve students. And in order to serve students, I have to serve the people that are presenting that curriculum and material to them. And so with that in mind, I have to do everything within my power on a daily basis to give them the tools and opportunities they need to best meet the needs of students. Um, and it is, it is a lot of inheriting problems. I mean, I, I don't think I was quite prepared for the number of problems that, <laughs> that I would take on in a daily basis. Um, 
again, that's kind of speaking back to the four walls of my classroom uh, versus the school as a whole. I, I went from working with 100 students a day to 2,000 students a day. Not that I'm responsible for all of them, but it's, it's a widespread um, thing. And so, but, you know, I, I feel like my mentality from teacher to administrator never changed. And, and it's always been a service mentality. I'm here to equip students and teachers with what they need to be as successful as possible. And, you know, I don't want to go too educationally cliche, but if we start with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's going to be uh, they need safety and they need some, some of the basic necessities. And once those are met, then we can start to establish a next level of, of support. And eventually we can get to that academic support. But, but none of that is going to take place if I don't start as a leader in the building without the right mentality of, of serving and supporting. And so if it's, if it's something that I can handle right then and there, I'm going to try my best to do it. If it's something that's going to take a few days, I'm going to continue to come back to it. And, um, and to me, that's something that is, that drives me now as an administrator, just as it did in a classroom when I was trying to figure out how to meet the students needs with my particular content area. So on that, on that topic, thinking about, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that, that safety piece. So to kind of take that in a slightly different direction, but the same concept, you know, your first two years as an administrator have been during a pandemic. So the games have changed, uh, the level of stress for everyone, students, teachers, administrators, everybody, parents, everybody in the, everybody in this together has, has risen. Uh, I've been a, a part of a lot of meetings and discussions about how do we, uh, how do we one make sure that our teachers are well taken care of? Our teacher stress levels aren't, you know, astronomical, astronomically high. Thinking about next year, reacclimating students to hopefully everyday five day normal instruction, getting kids back that have been remote for you know close to two years now, or really at the beginning of the school year next year. Just all those different pieces, and you know, part of me thinks like you know these are important, but like. I hope these just become staples of conversation because they should always be at at the forefront. But you know, what are just things that you've learned this year or that you're you're still looking to learn in terms of supporting your teachers, keeping their you know keeping their tanks full, keeping them powered up, keeping them you know uh, positive and and not to a point of of nearly breaking down over over stress and and over work. I mean, uh, you know, that's that's such an important question. Um, I think that when I had the when I had the opportunity to to serve um, on the as one of the top five finalists for my state, um, that became a sort of my uh, personal message. Um, I just felt very passionately about how do how do we keep teacher. Uh, the teacher tanks full and and there's no I, I definitely do not claim to have any kind of um, magical answer to that you know I've not written 
books and I have not done studies, but um, I speak from I speak from the heart and from what kept me personally motivated. And so, you know, my first thing is that um, it, it's going to sound borderline counseling psychiatry, but, you know, I believe that a person can will themselves to something just as much as as an emotion. Uh, emotions fluctuate. They're roller coasters. Um, every person on the face of the planet, regardless of their career, struggles at some point in time, at some day, with, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? Why am I doing this? Um, and so those are all natural questions and struggles. Uh, but those, to me, are driven out of, of thoughts and ideas and maybe even emotions. We can, we can will ourselves, I believe, and commit ourselves to a purpose. And in order to do that, I just one of the main things I do, I do with teachers and with myself is I encourage them to consider their purpose in the role that they are in. Um, I'm not necessarily talking about some uh, super spiritual, existential, like, you know, you, you don't have to be out there proselytizing and things like that. But I'm talking about why do you do what you why do you do what you do? And are you making a difference? And if you can tap into that um, on a daily basis, you can you can overcome those obstacles. And so how do you. How does a person tap into that? Well, I think there are just small things. Um, I have a, even in my office right now, I have a corner of my office with a folder where I keep letters and um, emails and uh, things that previous students and parents have sent me. And nobody really knows about it except for me. But when I, when I get to days and times where I'm really struggling, and where I question why I'm doing what I'm doing. I open that up and I, I read through some of those. And I think back about relationships and students across the time, time of my educational journey. And so that, that, I mean, for me personally, it only takes about one or two of those. And I snap right back into, okay, get yourself out of this, this thought process and realize that your, your importance now is, is needed more than ever. Um, now, you know, I think there are other things as an administrator and within teaching that we can do. I mean, morale across a building, culture across a building um, definitely falls heavily upon the, the leadership of that building, the pulse deck of that building. And so, you know, in my particular school, we try to have a very healthy relationship between our administration and our leadership team, which consists of the department heads of each of the uh, the members of our school, uh, the uh, department chairs of our school. And so we try to have uh, regular meetings and we try to communicate with them and there are no surprises, but we also look in this time in particular, we have looked for ways to really just reach out to teachers and let them know that we are um, that we are supporting them, that that what they are doing is is paramount more now, uh, now more than ever. 
And so for us, that's just looked like simple things such as um, providing uh, a lunch for the entire staff one month where all of our administrators pushed around drinks and lunches on a cart and we delivered them to each of our classrooms and, and dropped those things off and said, we just, we're just thankful for what you guys are doing. Um, this is a tough year. It's a tough time. Um, you know, I also think that our, our reactions to, um, to those problems that we mentioned earlier, uh, those go a long way in that relationship with the teacher and that purpose. So, you know, I want you to know that I have, I, I am a support system for you and I'm going to try to help you figure out how to move forward in the best way, uh, in the best way possible. And, and so those are just a few, I guess, more practical examples of some things, but it really, it really centers around the word purpose to me. Um, if you're going to keep your tank full with anything in life, you have to find a way to somehow continually tap into why you're doing what you're doing. Um, you know, I've heard it said that there's got to be more than making the money to buy the bread, to get the energy to go to work to make the money, you know, it's a, it's a cycle. And if people view teaching as only a cycle, uh, they're going to burn out quickly. And so how do we, how do we look at helping them see that it's more than just a cycle? And that becomes the challenge of, of all educators. But I think the administrators in the building as well, leading that building and that culture and saying, um, what you guys are doing is far more than content and, and all of these things. It has a, a, um, a definite purpose and, and you have to focus in on that. I just have a, a comment based off that. I, even today I was looking back at data. Uh, we did some end of year assessments and I was looking back and I had a, a issue when I did mid year and I was interested to see how much of an effect, if it played any effect, um, we ended up rushing our assessments right before the holiday break. And I held that result because it was one of those things that I met with my administrator and I promised that there were outside factors. I don't think the scores really reflected. And I got to the point of kind of, instead of being upset and angry, that my mid-year wasn't great, my administrator did an incredible job of framing it as, okay, this really just comes down to you driving down and making every moment count so that it really truly reflects at the end of the year all the progress you made. And I felt like that shift of lens from the administrator to me was so much more empowering than, hey, Matt, what, why'd that happen? What went wrong? Um, because I knew what went wrong and I vocalized what I w went wrong and I was embarrassed about what went wrong. I gave the wrong test. And so we were scurrying to get it in right before the holiday break. And, and so all of these factors, I already held on to that weight that I feel like when either it's purpose or intrinsic motivation or just the idea of finding that delicate balance from the administrative side of pr producing real honest feedback but not in a damaging way because we all go through grieving processes. And especially with adults, we know when we didn't do a great job or we know when we're faking it and making it seem like it's 
better than it actually is. But the empowerment to really, like you said, pull in purpose. Hey, why are you here? If you if you sit down and you say, why am I here? And you don't get either emotional or fired up based off that answer, that tells you enough right there. Like the reason why I show up every day is because I care so much about making a monumental difference in kids' life. Like, and I could go on and explain, but like, that's what makes me want to go to bed now and wake up and get right into my classroom when I'm reminded of that. And it just totally sends the level of quality so much higher instead of a grieving process of, hey, I caught you doing this wrong. Um, Now, there's also, I'm sure, negatives of being like, nonchalant, hey, no big deal. Um, That's a delicate balance. You don't want to back off too much. Um, But I I think it's it's fascinating that that emotional dynamic that you were almost speaking about, it ebbs and flows. And there's going to be times, we we asked this in a later question, but there are going to be high points and low points. um, And the administrator's role of that is to try and neutralize those lows and expand on those highs. Ken, do you have anything to jump in on that? Or Nick? Yeah, I, I what I wanted to dig into, and, and I don't want to discount what you said, Nick, about like providing that lunch and, and doing those things to show that you care, um, whether it's you know writing a note, providing that lunch, doing things that, that genuinely show that you care. Not having to pack a lunch for a day is always a positive for a teacher. But um, you know, those moments they don't last long. You know, it's great in that day, it's great in that moment. But, you know, when you were talking about purpose, it's, you know, looking at from my perspective, um, kind of being in the middle ground between administrative and classroom teachers and instructional coach is is looking at your systems and looking at what is causing the stress for teachers. How can I proactively reduce that? You know, wow, they get 500 emails every day. How can I or how can we as an administrative team, as a school reduce those emails so there's one less stressor in their life what can we do to proactively try to reduce this stress level try to reduce this burnout and not just say oh like it's part of being a teacher like we're all gonna it's almost june we're all gonna recharge in june like no like what are ways that we can do what are things that we can do to genuinely reduce that i mean when again when you take the teacher perspective if your students if your students are not succeeding or your students are struggling, the expectation is that you're looking at, okay, what are we doing on a daily basis? What systems do we have in place? What type of instruction is going on? Why are the students feeling this way? And so, you know, it's it's important to look at that, I think, from the administrator lens too, like you're saying, Nick, about, about that purpose and everybody thinking about that purpose. And, you know, to relate it to the classroom again, if you only focus on that stuff and you take out the relationship piece, well, then it's going to falter as well. So it's that balance that you, you talked about, but it's, it's, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a huge challenge. I think it's one of the most challenging things for administrators to tackle because every year is going to be different. Every teacher is going to be different. Understanding what one teacher's needs are versus another teacher's needs. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely a big challenge. And, I, I'm just happy to hear that there's an administrator that sees that, sees the need for that. You saw it before you stepped into this role, and it's still clearly a big part of, of what you view your role as being right now. 
Yeah. If I can add one more thing uh, before before we before we move on, you know, um, I, I am fortunate to work in a district where our superintendent is is critical of uh, is very critical of standardized testing and um, a lot of those measures. Now we all understand that we we have to we all we all know that we have to go through it, uh, but we we continually hear from a higher leadership role that that is not the sole measure by which we will see success from students and from teachers and from administrators and from schools. And so, you know, I, I remember reading a book in my uh, administration degree. Um, it was called Schools Can't Do It Alone by Jamie Vollmer. And he started off as a CEO of, a, of an ice cream company and um, he he tells this story in the book where he he went and he he was actually brought in to be a guest speaker to motivate uh, basically a motivational speaker. And he goes in and he tells these teachers like all the all the things they need to be doing to be successful and to to uh, challenge students. And one of the teachers at the school that he's speaking at uh, raises her hand and says. Um, and says, sir, what do you do when you have a bad batch of ice cream? And he says, well, we, we throw it out. And she says, well, we don't do that with students, you know, and, and she goes into like this story of we, we are going to account for every single individual. It doesn't matter about their backgrounds, their upbringings, their educational, uh, their educational foundation, none of that. Uh, of course, it's going to factor in, but we don't have the luxury of of passing on students. And so I say all of that to say that data is a data in to me is a it's one piece of the puzzle. We use it to to help us. We use it to. um to maybe guide our our instructional direction, uh, but I I I feel sad. It saddens me to think anywhere across our our country or world that that is the sole indicator of success for a teacher, for a school, and for a district. Um, it's just not the case. Of course, that's what you know. We want to give students the most options available to them, but we are about educating the entire student. Uh, and that's becoming more evident in the midst of a pandemic uh, with social and emotional um, opportunities to reach out to these kids. Um, and so that's just something that I feel very thankful for the district that I that I work in. I know it's not necessarily that way everywhere, but as as I continue my quest in administration, um, I will always hold near and dear to me that data is merely a piece of of the puzzle, never a full indicator of a teacher's success or student's success. Well, you're in your tribe, Nick. Uh, Matt and I both subscribe to that big time, and I can say that with confidence. Every guest we've had on this show thus far is is in that same tribe. And like you said, that data can be really effective in planning an individual lesson or grouping your students for a specific skill or a specific unit 
in a specific subject, but to tell the story of a child, it is it is nowhere near that at, uh, without any doubt. So thank you for sharing that um, because it's something that we, we need to hear a lot, especially from an administrator perspective. So I want to take a hard, hard right turn and jump into our lesson lens uh, where Matt and I will dig in to learn a little bit more about something you've taught something you've observed we have no idea where you're going to take it and we're we're excited to, to see where where you take us so question number one is it a unit overview a single lesson or a long-term project um i would say for me it would be kind of a kind of that combination of unit overview and long-term project a little bit of a, a hybrid between the two of those um so I think it's pretty obvious your subject area. Um, the other two questions, grade level specific, um, and was it something that you did at a certain time of year or just kind of it would flow at any time when you came across it? Yeah, so so my, my the particular uh, concept that I have, uh, writing is my favorite, my favorite aspect of teaching. Um, it's always been my favorite. Uh, when I was a student, it was my favorite um, aspect of being a student and that just kind of transitioned into a desire for me to help take a strength of mine and help students uh, grow in that area and so uh, you know argumentative writing in particular is something that was always a, a passion of mine and mainly because um, as soon as you said the word argument uh, the mind of the middle school high schooler went into who could shout the loudest and be the most ins, uh, insulting. And so I wanted to quickly dispel those, those viewpoints and look at how to have uh, intellectual argument and discussion. And so um, I, I would say that it's, it's not necessarily grade level specific because we teach the idea of argument all the way through high school. Um, definitely the levels of depth, as I kind of mentioned earlier, um, vary. So mine was always geared more towards that ninth, 10th grade level of, of argument. But for me, coming from that middle school background into high school, it was an opportunity to, um, to help kids shift from uh, persuasive writing, uh, opinion writing, to an argument. And, and how are you going to consider claims and counterclaims and those types of things? Excellent. So uh, my next question was going to be, what are the objectives? But you, you clearly just defined that. So Matt, I'm going to steal your next one and we can just trade off from here on out. That's fine. Uh, what were, so during, during this unit and when you're working on these concepts and objectives, what are the students actively doing in your class to explore and learn this content? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I hate using all the uh, educational buzzwords, but well, for you're me, it always, so. <laughs> <laughs> it, it always started with a, like a backwards design approach for me. Um, I, I had to look at where I wanted them to get and what were all of the steps to get them there. Um, and so I, for me, I actually started with a lot of uh, like like many educators, I started with a lot of introductory uh, terminology, but we also looked, I, I used uh, Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham Jail as one of my main 
instructional pieces for argumentative writing. Uh, the you know I'll I'll spare the the deep uh, background of that, but um, essentially he was uh, he was written to by a group of pastors requesting that he not come to Birmingham because of uh, because he was an outsider and and they did not want him to show up to take part in any kind of demonstration that was going to cause um, uh, any type of um, resistance against the law. And so uh, he was, of course, as we, we all know, he showed up and he was, uh, he was arrested and thrown into jail. Their letter to him was one page. He responded with, a, with a, about a 12-page letter. And it's, it's a beautiful piece of argumentative writing. And so I always use that as, as the sort of springboard for where we jumped off from. Okay, what is he doing with this? How is he responding? And then ultimately, I would work that to a connection to their real lives. Um, you know, I think if we don't strive to make it relatable to them, um, you were going to miss out on some big opportunities. So um, at that point, I often allowed for the opportunity for them to do uh, research. And, and I always covered three different types of, of argumentative writing. There was argument of policy, argument of judgment and then argument of, of fact. And the, so all of those kind of things um, are, are very different, um, different realms, but most of the students wanted to do argument of policy and they usually went with uh, student handbooks and things like, things like that. Um, but ultimately my goal was to, with the backwards design, was to give them the steps that they needed to be successful to help them get to a, a research and argument of their own uh, of their own independent level. For the next question, I'm going to kind of adjust it. Um, so we obviously know you gathered a ton of materials and you kind of set the purpose and set a reason for argumentative writing um, for kids um, in their pursuit of understanding the, the purpose behind it. The, the traditional question to read it to you is what is your role? And I think that's pretty evident what your role is. Um, but how did you support the research phase where the kids are going ahead and gathering their own perspectives and proofs and counterpoints, as you were mentioning? What is your role in that scenario, as well as transitioning that into a actual physical piece of writing that proves a point at the end? So, so at the level I taught, which was ninth and 10th grade, um, English one and two for us, it was really quite a bit about, uh, scaffolding them to a point of independence. And so for me, um, I gave them one in terms of research and, and this is even worse now. I, I talk about it with my teachers all the time, but I had to give them, we, we did basic lessons about, um, the types of, of web domains and, you know, what do they look at with uh, when they do research? Are they Googling and searching, clicking on the first link and jotting down information? We did lessons to prepare them for how to, um, to research. And, and so part of that was me providing opportunities for them to look at varying viewpoints. Uh, you know, this is not a 
uh, a name drop, but I use Procon.org. That was one of the websites I use quite a bit for my students to be able to see uh, a number of topics with varying viewpoints and sides. And and the nice thing about that website was that everything was was cited already. So they could actually click on footnotes and they could look at their citations. So I was already starting to plant the idea with them that they can't just copy and paste these uh, massive amounts of material and claim it as their own. They have to give credit and those types of things. That was that was phase one with the uh, with the research. And then the second part in terms of helping them gain independence was I tried to build opportunities for them uh, in multiple ways. So we did some things in class. Actually, um, when I referenced the um, the teacher, the State Department of Education from South Carolina coming into my classroom to surprise me with the top five finalist announcement, um, we were actually in the middle of a debate about whether or not social media has benefited society. And so I, I presented all of these um, foundational opportunities and frameworks for them to have discussions and debates and thinking, but I did not make all of them right on that topic. We also covered other topics. And eventually when we got to the place of them being able to construct their own argument, um, they had the terminology. They had we had an, uh, we had analyzed sample arguments. We had looked at letter from Birmingham jail, and we had researched. And they had had a chance to give their viewpoints on various topics. And so it came down to the point where they had to just um, choose what they were most passionate about from our class, and they had to pursue that. And at that point, I, I became really more like their guide in helping them pursue that and think about how they were going to write a an argumentative piece where they considered uh, their their claims and counterclaims and how they were going to support their points with evidence and explanation. That's great. I uh, I wasn't a I would say as passionate of a writer in school like you described. But I always really enjoyed teaching writing. And actually, the longer I taught, the more I enjoyed teaching writing. So the last question is, you know, you can put your administrator hat back on here. What advice would you give yourself if you were to teach that lesson again or teach this topic again? Or you have a teacher uh, working towards that, that same unit. What advice would you give to improve those experiences for the students? Uh, well, I would I would probably have a couple couple pieces. Um, I would say number one, um, absorb every, and this is not exclusive to argumentative writing, but absorb every uh, piece of support that you can for helping students to get to that ending outcome. Uh, in my in my teaching career. Thankfully, someone turned me on to a book called Teaching Argumentative Writing uh, by Kelly Gallagher. And, and this is something that I want to emphasize is as a teacher and administrator, I've been a continual learner. I have not come to a place where I'm I would consider myself stagnant and um, refusing to to read and to learn and to grow. 
And so someone brought that book to my attention. It totally transformed my thinking about uh, about teaching. And I came up with all these ideas. And then I started researching other options for ideas and how to teach students about the, the, the steps to get them to where I wanted to go. So absorb, number one, I would say absorb um, all that you are able to do with when, when, whether it's a, a, a co-teacher or teacher across the, the hall or, you know, uh, books that are recommended, all kinds of those things. Um, secondly, I would say probably my, my biggest piece of advice in addition to, in addition to that would just be to um, look for ways to, um, you know, I, it's, it's not mind-blowing again, but you've, we've got to look for ways to make content relatable to kids. And so that doesn't mean we have to abandon, you know, I, I work with teachers both as a, as, a, as a teacher and administrator who are, are dead set on uh, Frankenstein and Beowulf and, and all these pieces. And, and I'm not going to necessarily... Uh, fight that, but we always have to have a mentality of, of open mind and open mindedness. What's going to be best for kids? What am I going to do? That's going to be best for kids. And so if, if that is our driving point, kind of like I mentioned with the purpose, if that's our driving point and purpose, that's going to motivate me to look for opportunities to allow them to be relatable. So I let kids, you know, while while some people would maybe strive away from um, controversial topics, uh, I, I let them choose them. And for me as the teacher, it had to mean that I remained ex very, very objective. I couldn't allow, I had kids that, I had kids that wrote about things that I disagreed with on a regular basis, but I was, grading them and teaching them based on their content and their ability to think and to discuss and not on uh, me as a as my opinions. Um, it's not my role as an educator to to shift and shape uh, those opinions to be in line with exactly what I think. It's my goal to give them the tools necessary to think independently to research and to discuss that. And I think that starts from kindergarten all the way up to the senior year of high school. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we always see that so much in uh, post-secondary, but I, I think definitely for public education, that's something that I would say is, is important is that we remain objective and we give kids an opportunity to relate what they're doing so that that helps that investment piece and that motivation piece for them. Well, and even it, it shows them that you can operate in a world where you do disagree, but you still work collaboratively and work maturely. And so knowing that you disagree or knowing that you are on one side versus the other side and how you're still able to have civil discourse is always something that everybody can everybody can learn from and, and uh, you can serve as a positive role model in that sense. So our last section of the show is called the exit ticket. Same four questions that we ask every guest every week. Question number one, what is the best thing that a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Um, I think it's 
to me, it's about um, their daily interaction with that student. And, and one of the easiest ways to do that is, uh, is how they greet them every day. Um, as an administrator, it's, it's kind of, it's not comical, but uh, it's turned out to be that way a little bit for me. But one of my roles as an administrator is I became a, a front door temperature checker this year. And um, <clears throat> I kind of, I, I was kind of, uh, at first, I was probably a little critical of the role, you know, and at least in my own mind. Um, but what I what I quickly began to understand is that I'm greeting these kids as they enter my building every day, and that's their first that's their first interaction every day. So checking with them, how are you doing? How how was your day? How was your weekend? Talking with them it became far more than taking temperatures. And now those same kids, I now have conversations with throughout the school day in the hallways at lunch. And so I think from the, from the teacher side of it, um, what can you do to make that most impact? You've got to, you've got to greet them and you've got to, they've got to know every single day that you, that you view them as a, as a, human more than a a data number and more than a a fixture at that desk more than somebody who's just passing through their classroom well whether or not you're actually going to be taking their internal core temperature (laughs) next year i have a feeling you're going to be standing in that same spot taking the temperature of them from an emotional and uh well-being standpoint yeah i I definitely agree the second question um and you can pull i know you've talked about advice that you've gotten before but um are there things that you kind of root through i know you mentioned um the book uh, or or past notes or emails you've gotten but what is a piece of advice that really comes back to you whether it was a colleague a supervisor or a student um that helps you realign your purpose um, on a daily basis is there something you think of frequently uh i i think it would be that a, a person has the ability to to will themselves just as much as an emotion um and, and i've made that a foundational piece of everything in my life um marriage fatherhood uh being a, a neighbor my job um we our, our emotions fluctuate and and every you know we're not all going to wake up every morning regardless of our career path and say i can't wait to go out and do something today i can't wait to go out but when you have a mindset of commitment versus in a mindset of responding to the fluctuating of that emotion or that surrounding circumstance it drastically impacts um, how you live day to day. And so, you know, a, a teacher early on shared that concept with me and it's always stuck with me. And I think that I, when I get up each morning, whether it be as a, te- as a teacher or an administrator or as a husband or as a father, any, any role, any hat that I wear in life, I've got to think, am I committed to this? 
and and I've got to say yes, I am I am committed to this because I know that purpose and that outcome that I was mentioning. I know why I'm doing this. It's not haphazard. It's not something that I'm just hoping makes a difference. I know that it does, and I know the impact it has on 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 human beings. And so I can will myself to that and not be uh, sub, uh, com- continually subjected to just how I feel or, or how I think about it based on things I read or, or hear or social media or, um, you know, parking lot conversations. So as an administrator, and we talked about this earlier, um, it's a key role for you to keep your teachers motivated, keep your teachers feeling inspired, feeling positive. So when they hit those moments of the school year, conferences, report cards, uh, maybe uh, state testing where things are really stressful, what do you already do or what do you want to start to say to them to help them power up and kind of really rise through those, those moments of struggle? Uh, even though I was an English teacher, my favorite historical figure was Frederick Douglass. And um, I've read a lot about him and several things by him. And there was a there's a portion of a speech that he gave uh, as an abolitionist where he said, "If there, uh, this is this is just a, a small excerpt of that speech." But he says, "If there is no struggle, there is no progress." And you know, I think that my goal as an administrator is to come 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 alongside of people whether I see them struggling or thriving and say uh, continue to remind them that we are making progress and that their role is uh, infinitely important and and help them to discover uh, or to if not discover to um, to be reminded of that purpose. And so I'm going to do everything I can to try to remind them of that and to help keep that as at the forefront of their minds. You know, why, why are you, and this is just conversations. It's nothing, uh, it's nothing crazy. It's just conversations. You know, why are you doing this? Does this kid need you? You know, if we're having a conversation about the most difficult student you have behaviorally, is this maybe the kid who needs you the most behaviorally um, and just shifting that conversation and helping them to think of it from that standpoint of, of taking a few steps back and not just about your four walls, but thinking, um, think about what you're doing for them on the big scale, on the big picture. I love, I love hearing the, if that kid's the one who needs you the most. Um, I think that's one of those perspectives we, uh, when talking about purpose, that's a question that comes up in my mind quite a bit. So, um, Nick, you've shared a lot of great things and I know that you have plenty more to share and I'm, I'm excited to kind of follow along as you, um, work at, uh, refining your craft as an administrator is there a best way to follow along or continue a conversation with you ask questions learn about the experience or just um, get more wisdom from you whether it's uh, social media or directly that we can stay in contact with you yeah no problem um i'm not a 
I'm probably not as active in social medias <laughs> as I as I should be in terms of presence. That would probably be a good a good goal for me personally. Um, I, I I welcome uh, any and all conversation. Um, you know, I I can definitely provide um, the the best email for me. Um, to utilize would be Snyder N at bcstschools.net. So that is S-N-Y-D-E-R-N as in Nick at bcstschools.net. Um, and I still, I still get emails from former students. Um, you know, I, I am a part of uh, some social media, but uh, not so much from the um, advoc- uh, educational advocate advocate part so that's that's probably the best avenue to uh to check in with me just through through email and and i definitely have no issues with um people contacting me that route and then you know if if there's additional ways they want to discuss whether it be uh texts or phone calls or things like that i i i'm all for um encouraging everything and anything associated with public education awesome thank you so much for sharing that and We'll link directly to your email in our show notes page, which can be found at powereduup.com slash show24. Uh, I respect the fact that you're not on social media. Maybe we'll we'll get you active and involved in our Powered Up forums um, where you can engage in a little bit more thoughtful and in-detail conversation and not have the, the buzz and all the, the hype of social media involved. But, Nick, thank you so much. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I think really insightful. When I first reached out to Nick about joining the show, he was hesitant to join because of his switch to administration. He just wasn't sure if that's what we wanted on the show or not. And I I told him immediately that I would absolutely love to have him on the show because I think it's a great perspective from a distinguished, obviously very well-respected teacher who made a huge impact on students' lives to now seeing how he's doing that as an administrator. And so Nick, your school is really lucky to have had you as a teacher and, and now as an administrator. I can see that you're going to make a big difference in the lives of students and teachers uh, continued from here. So thanks again. Uh, thank you to everyone who's tuned in. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button, button wherever you're listening or watching. Uh, please leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. And just please share this with teachers. I've said this before, not for Matter Eye, but for the teachers that we're having on our podcast because the guests we're having are just incredible and there's so much they can offer for other educators and we just want them to learn, grow, or just hear something and say, hey, I do that too and feel better about themselves. And that's really the purpose of this of this podcast to keep empowering others and powering them up. So thank Nick, you. You, Nick, thank you again. And Matt, why don't you, uh, why don't you wrap things up here for us? So, uh, as we powered down this episode, Nick, you left us feeling powered up. We appreciate your time um, and your wisdom and best of luck finishing out your school year. Everyone stay well, stay happy. Uh, only a few more days to go, um, at least in our ends of things. Um, hopefully you're enjoying summer when you're listening to it. But be good and we'll talk to you next week.